It's a Winterbull show. It's me, Brett Winterbull. Happy you guys are out here. It has been a huge week of news, and uh, that, that comes as no surprise to anybody. Um, I don't think anybody really understood what it was that was going to happen uh, over the span of this week. Uh, certainly, nobody would be able to soothsay this. You, you would have a week wherein we would start uh, feeling the pains still remaining from the attack in Dallas, the terrorist attack in Dallas against the Dallas Police Department, and would eventually uh, make its way all the way to uh, what it was that happened in Nice, and then the attempted coup in Turkey, and somewhere thrown in the mix, Donald Trump picked his vice president. Uh, it, it is it is a remarkable movement of events, but at every turn, with the notable exception of Pence being picked as, uh, as, as Trump's VP, I think we can conclude one thing. The world is absolutely 100% in turmoil. It's chaos. Uh, you have a coup on, on Friday in Turkey, in which in excess of 250 people are dead, 1,400 people are injured. And this was all done in an effort to reject the efforts of the uh, the president of Turkey to take his government further and further into an alliance or into league with Islamists. I think people have a lot of questions about a place like Turkey, because it's it's an it's an odd place. It's uh, it's it's vaguely Middle Eastern and vaguely European. It's right there, sitting astride the two continents, Eurasia, as they used to say in in middle school and high school. And one of the big things to sort of keep in mind when you when you look at these geopolitical events is the neighborhood in which uh, a given country inhabits. What that neighborhood reveals about the people in the government, the people in the country. Turkey borders Iran. Uh, Turkey is right up against Syria. Uh, Turkey is right up against Iraq. This is uh, sandwiched between Russia. This is, it, it occupies maybe the, uh, the single worst street corner on the planet. Uh, no exaggeration. It's a terrible place to be. And it feels these pressures from, from multiple places. Turkey is a NATO ally. I don't know how much of an ally to the United States they are. I believe the people of Turkey like the U.S. Uh, I don't think Erdogan, the president, likes the United States. I think he likes Obama. But I don't think he likes the United States. And, and the thing to sort of consider when you look at this is um, this is a country run by Erdogan who has gone out and purged the military. He basically went in there and and turned the military and the intelligence services uh, upside down. The military in Turkey used to be overwhelmingly secular. It, it doesn't it does not mean atheist. It means they understood the role of the military as not being a vehicle for um, pushing their Islamism. You have a, a, a situation in Turkey now where the military is 30 or 50 percent Islamic and maybe Islamist. This is a NATO ally that gets supplied by us. This is the strongest military in that region. We've built it. And 
that president has offered a lot of support. Erdogan has, has offered a lot of support to ISIS. And I know it, it's hard to wrap your head around because it was hard to wrap my head around when I started thinking about this. You, you have a NATO ally who is going to sit in partnership with the French, the United States, the Germans, the English, the Belgians. And out of that list of the big dogs in, in NATO, uh, three of them, us, the Belgians, and the French, have suffered the attacks of ISIS. And ISIS is an organization that Erdogan uh, is, is at, at a minimum, Erdogan is neutral on. At a worst-case scenario, he's actually aiding, and he is, a, he is actually aiding them. So Erdogan uh, beats back this coup d'etat in Turkey on Friday, Friday night into Saturday morning, and reasserts control. And now this guy is going to be bad news. He was bad news. He's going to be horrible news now. You're going to see the liberties rolled back. You're going to see a much more pronounced bit of Islamism being brought into the fray. And, and here's what I, I find so vile about the man. When the coup happened, and I, I understand the president, John Kerry, and our government immediately ran out there and said, well, we're only going to respect the democratically elected government of Turkey. We're, we're, we're not a country that's going to embrace uh, leaders emanating from a coup d'etat. I get it. I understand that. But, but let me say this. This is, this is what is uh, so curious to me. He turns to the mosques and has the mosques start screaming out through their uh, loudspeakers, uh, not the call to prayer, but a demand to get people out into the streets to attack the, 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 uh, the coup-plotting military. So he's now basically used the mosques as a... Uh, as an irregular force in this fight. Turkey and the Russians have been at odds for a long time. And, and remember, before you start saying, well, it's good that we back a democracy uh, in Turkey. Remember, it was the Turks who refused to allow the fourth ID to come into Iraq through Turkey. They, they stood up to the United States and said, nope, we are, we are good with Saddam Hussein. We are not going to help you. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And um, that's, that's what you have. That's what you have. This guy is Saddam Hussein Jr. I think the best way to understand it is that he is Saddam Hussein Jr. He is a, a demented Islamist who's going to push that ideology. And now, he's now he, he ain't leaving. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. He's not going to be leaving the power. So, so what does all this mean? For, for people who live in the United States. Like, why, why should you care? You're in New Hampshire. You're in Maine. You're in Illinois. You're in Texas. You're in California. What do I care about Turkey? It's another one of those weird countries over in that weird part of the world where they all hate each other. It's of no consequence to me. Well, it has to be of consequence to you because you're also talking about a situation where uh, this is a country that is right at the, uh, right at the base of, of Russia, uh, that has been tense with Russia. Erdogan uh, has already shot down Russian aircraft. And uh, Erdogan, uh, I, I think if, 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 if the Putin uh, government of Russia is going to be dragged into a conflict with us in the West, it's going to be because, something, because of something that Erdogan does in that region. He's going to go just too far. Follow me on Twitter at Winterbull Show. At Winterbull Show, you can email me anytime, Brett, at brettwitterbull.com. 
Mac, Mike Pence uh, just named, uh, as you know, um, started really in earnest on, on Thursday, uh, moved into Friday uh, against the events in Nice. And uh, Mike Pence is now the vice president, as you saw, uh, with, uh, with Donald Trump. And a lot of people, uh, Josh Ernest among them, uh, pointing and saying, aha, check it out. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike Pence is a bad guy. Mike, Mike Pence is a, is a goofy guy. He, he, he's, uh, he's pro-life. He's a social conservative. Watch out. If you thought, uh, I think Hillary Clinton's got an ad out right now that says, if you thought that Donald Trump was dangerous for America, meet his vice presidential pick. Mike Pence is not dangerous for America. Uh, they don't like Donald Trump. They think he's brash. He's over the top. He says what he wants to say, and he's not part of the, the old order in D.C. Uh, Mike Pence is not dangerous. <laughs> Sit down and watch an interview with Mike Pence and tell me how you view him as a dangerous person. He's uh, eminently reasonable, Midwestern, boring, in fact, but he's got a great grasp when it comes to the policies of government, having come out of the House and having governed in Indiana, and, and, and frankly, having been a guy who was likely going to get reelected as governor of Indiana. This guy's a great pick, and I'll explain to you why straight ahead. There's a, there's a great A-B comparison between Mike Pence, Newt Gingrich. I'll give it to you straight ahead. The magic word is current. Current. Pence is more current than Newt. Newt's a big idea guy. Pence is more current. You'll see why straight ahead. Again, on Twitter, at Winterbull Show. I'm Brett Winterbull. It's the Brett Winterbull Show. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is the Brett Witterbull Show. Mike Pence versus Newt Gingrich. That was the A-B comparison that literally everybody was pushing. Uh, No matter who you were hearing from uh, as you got through the week, people were either in uh, Team team Gingrich or Team Pence. And how interesting how quickly uh, people moved beyond uh, Chris Christie and, and, uh, uh, you know, people like like that uh, who just kind of fell to the wayside. So here comes Pence. Uh, who was a surprise uh, to some people, I guess, right? People didn't expect uh, didn't expect it to be uh, Mike Pence, but uh, I think Mike Pence brings some real strength to the uh, to the ticket, and I'll tell you why I think that. Number one, Mike Pence is a relative, uh, relatively new face on the national scene. Uh, a large majority of Americans have no idea who he is. Um, I can tell you this right now. He looks like a guy who is uh, a leader, and, and that is important. you gotta, you got to look at somebody and say, all right, uh, does, he, does he carry the perception of being, uh, uh, of being a leader? And is he looking like the guy who can take the country in a certain direction that, that, that Trump wants to take it? Remember what Donald Trump said he wanted out of a vice president? No, 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 not just an attack dog. But remember what Trump said. Trump said he wanted somebody with governing experience, with Washington experience. Pence gets you both. One, he was a congressman uh, f- for about a decade uh, representing Indiana in, in the U.S. Congress. He was uh, a part of the Republican conference. He was a leader of the Republican conference. And he was an idea guy. He, he was one of the guys who helped you craft sort of the ideology 
uh, of the direction of government. He was a guy who definitely had steel in his spine. He challenged uh, John Boehner uh, for the speakership. Uh, I mean, he made a challenge at him himself. He, he ran at Boehner and said, I'm going to take the speakership from you because you're not doing the right thing in the House, number one. Number two, uh, he, he threatened to th- shut the government down over defunding of Planned Parenthood. He wanted Planned Parenthood defunded. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll shut the government down if I can't get it. So this is a guy who's willing to stand on principle, certainly uh, lives many of the values uh, that conservatives feel in this country and, and, and um, is going to be willing to articulate those values. He's not some radical bomb thrower. He's not a wacky nut job. Uh, you're going to see Hillary Clinton and, and her loony bin of supporters uh, looking at Mike Pence and trying to cr- create this impression that, you know, he, he's one of these mouth-breathing, snake-handling, maniac, militia types. It's the furthest thing from it. He's a guy who is uh, well-reasoned, who, who thinks through policy um, in, in some ways. And, and I don't mean this. I don't mean to compare the two um, uh, directly. He's reminiscent of an older version of, of a Paul Ryan, a guy who's working on the ideology and the ideas uh, inside of changing government. But he's not going to be a guy uh, who is going to freak people out. He's from Indiana. He has the first thing, which is coming out of the Congress in a fairly recent fashion, right? It's only been about five years since he left the Congress. So he still has established relationships inside uh, that institution on Capitol Hill. He still has the ability to uh, work with many of the people that he served with. So that, that represents an important uh, step. Uh, he has his social conservative uh, bona fides. So certainly that's going to be something that sends a message to uh, those voters who might have been uh, out there working for a, uh, a a Ted Cruz, let's say, who came up short and who said, "Well, then, nah, I'm going to be a never Trump because I don't I don't believe him." Here's the little hint: uh, Pence is pro life. Uh, Pence is uh, a guy who believes in uh, scrapping Common Core. He's a guy who believes in returning power to the states. He's he's a guy who is right on the forefront of those conservative issues. I, I like the pick a lot. I, I think the pick. Is uh, is precisely the sort of uh, of of medicine uh, that that uh, Trump's uh, campaign needed. Um, number one, uh, number two. Let's do an A B comparison with Newt Gingrich and Mike Pence. I mentioned the term current and contemporary. Pence is a more contemporary politician. Remember, Newt Gingrich is out of office for about twenty years. He's been on TV a lot. He's been an idea guy for a lot, but he hadn't been in Washington uh, since before 9-11. He's not a guy who has the relationships with people on, the Capitol, uh, on Capitol Hill in the Senate that Pence does, and number one. Number two, Pence has that entree to the Republican governors, which is an important group of people as well. He, he's a guy who I think will be a, uh, a, a great balance to Trump where Trump can be a, a little bit uh, uh, acerbic, uh, brash, uh, petulant even, some would say. Uh, Pence gives you that balance in the other direction. Pence takes you to this place and says, all right, uh, let's sit down and let's map this out. Let's see how we actually could accomplish this. So this is a guy who understands, not just in the House, but as a governor, uh, how it is that you have to work with the other side. And I'll tell you this, um, 
I think he can sit down with Trump. And, and I don't mean to uh, put any more weight on on being a uh, on being a, a vice president than I have to. I, I understand most people are sitting there saying, "Brett, nobody cares." I mean, literally, Winterville, nobody cares. It's a vice president. He goes to funerals and he breaks ties in the Senate. He, he does, but he also. Is, is a guy who's going to be able to kind of say to Trump behind the scenes with the doors closed, Donald, listen, if you want to get this done, then we're going to have to do this, this, and this. He's a good lieutenant who, who's going to be of good counsel, I think. And that's important. And he meets the most important test. I do believe that Pence, if, uh, if the, the caca hit the fan, Pence, Pence would be a very reasonable uh, president to step into those shoes to fill the responsibility. I do not think in any way, shape, or form he would he would wreck the country. He's a more qualified president now as governor of Indiana than I think Barack Obama is now, having been president for seven years. And you can take that as an insult. Don't really care. The fact of the matter is, uh, I think Pence has a better understanding uh, of, of what the country needs and where we are uh, as a people, having been out in the heartland, having understood... Uh, the, the fears, the concerns, the needs of the American people and the impact of these bad policies, uh, including Obamacare, uh, spending, uh, mandates, EPA uh, pushes, things like that. Um, remember, he was the first congressman, by the way. It should be noted. He was the first congressman to speak to uh, a Tea Party group. But what about Chris Christie? People are wondering about this. Uh, New York Times, uh, Kate Zernke writing uh, in these last hours about Chris Christie. He lost out on the job he wanted and his bad year got worse. The press hates Chris Christie and they hate him for only one reason. He's got the wrong letter after his name. If Chris Christie were a Democrat politician, he would not he wouldn't be reviled by the New York Times. He'd be celebrated. He'd be held up as a rock star and a maverick and all the sorts of things they used to say about uh, John McCain. But, but you, 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 look at, you look at the story that the Times has penned in response to all of this. Black Thursday, one of government Chris Christie's least favorite local newspaper columnists called it under a headline that declared it his worst day ever. At least it was the New Jersey governor's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Thursday morning, one of his closest confidants pleaded guilty to felony charge of abusing power at the agency that Christie tapped him to leave, lead. And we get back to Bridgegate. Then he didn't get the job he's been pining for, which he had pinned his hopes on for political resuscitation, not being picked as the vice president. And that was after a storm knocked down a tree in a power line outside of his house, starting a fire beside it. That's right. Chris Christie is finished. He's done. It's over. Please. New York Times, please. The major candidate for the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, she's been wrapped up in this email scandal and will likely be caught up in the Clinton uh, Foundation funding scandal as well. Uh, this is uh, not anything that you, uh, you want to be celebrating here, boys and girls. Uh, this is a guy who uh, I think will have at least another act in politics and may very well likely have a very prominent role in an administration for, uh, for Donald Trump. This is going to be curious. When we come back, the 28 pages. Brett Whittable, Brett Whittable Show.
Welcome back. I'm Brett Witterbolt. Wow, after a lot of fanfare and uh, a lot of uh, uh, back and forth and yelling and screaming, the 28 pages have have now been released. Do you know what the you know what the 28 pages are? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? That's right. The 28 pages out of the 9/11 report that the Saudi government didn't want released, that the Bush administration wouldn't release, and that the uh, Obama administration fought to keep a secret. They, uh, they have now been released. And uh, what do we know from it? Well, not much. Not much. I mean, i got to be honest with you. I could lie. Uh, there were people who expected there to be a smoking gun. There really wasn't. The pages show no official links between the Saudi government and the hijackers who killed nearly 3,000 people in New York on 9-11. However, the report found it's likely that the attackers had financial help from the people inside the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. An independent panel completed the 9-11 Commission report back in 2002. Feels like a lifetime ago. But several pages, informally known as the 28, were withheld from the public for 13 years, fueling speculation about their contents. For years, lawmakers and family members of the 9-11 victims lobbied for their release, arguing the U.S. government was shielding an important ally. Fifteen of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals. The released pages were still lightly redacted by the CIA. The report's original authors cautioned that some of the information contained in the 28 pages was unvetted material compiled by the FBI. Oh, no, not the, not the unvetted material. I, I, what, 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 what do we do? What do we do? Unvetted material. Can I just say something about this? Even the language of this report, its descriptives, is reminiscent of a, of a, of a pre-internet world. I don't think unvetted material matters to anybody. You can vet the material yourself on the internet. And I know there are going to be people who say, Brad, come on. But it had un- unvetted material. There was unvetted material. So much of the information uh, was held back in the 28 pages. Uh, nevertheless, um, the Saudi government said it welcomed the release of the documents on Friday. The release confirms neither the Saudi government nor the Saudi officials nor any person acting on behalf of the Saudi government provided any support or encouragement for the attacks, said Abdullah al Saud, Saudi Arabia's ambassador to the United States, on Friday. Well, isn't that special? I'll tell you this, the exoneration of, uh, of the Saudis in this uh, 28 pages of the 9-11 report reminds me a lot of the exoneration that Hillary Clinton got from James Comey when it comes to her not uh, being charged or involved with, with anything in the email. Y- yeah, I, I, you got nothing on me, boys. You got nothing on me. The fact of the matter is, uh, you, you, you couldn't prove it, you couldn't find it, and, and you can release all the documents you want, doesn't matter. Put any document you want out there, doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, the, uh, the, the evidence that you think you have, the evidence that you think you got, even though the intelligence community uh, knows full well that the, uh, the, the Saudis are the biggest funders when it comes to uh, Sunni terrorism, uh, none of that matters in any way, shape, or form, because... The perception out there is the reality. And that's the important lesson. And it's something that the politicians love to say this when it benefits them in a campaign season. They will tell you, the voter, 
or the news consumer that um, perception is reality. And that's why we're able to, to define our opponent in a given way. Uh, Hillary will, will say it and her handlers will say it extensively uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. They don't like Trump. So they'll come out and they'll say, well, perception's reality. He's a bully. He's a bully, and he's brash, and he's loud, and he's obnoxious, and nobody likes him, and he doesn't play well with anybody on the playground. So that's what they'll say, right? This is what they'll say. This is what they'll lay out there. Well, the same holds true for Hillary Clinton when it comes to the email scandal, and the same holds true for, uh, for what you have with um, the Saudis and terrorism. If perception's going to be the reality for domestic politics, then perception is going to be reality when it comes to people being perceived one way or the other on the global stage in the war on terror, um, in, in, in the push to uh, get the Iranians the equipment and the support and the supplies they need to develop their nuclear weapons program. Uh, perception is reality. When you have people who, who look at the administration in D.C. and say, uh, yep, this is a guy. Uh, these are people who are more committed to the ideology of, uh, of, of battling climate change than they are to keeping people safe on the streets. And, and so for the Saudi government to uh, sit there and, and think for a minute uh, or, or longer that they've been given a hall pass – They've been given a skate because you couldn't prove we funded 9-11. You couldn't prove it. You, you couldn't uh, pin anything on us. There's still the 15 of the 19 hijackers. 15 of the 19 hijackers who were Saudis, number one. There's still the small matter. And I don't mean it's a small matter, but you understand my point. The small matter of the fact that 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. We know the Gulf states fund terrorism around the world and our, our funding as we speak, uh, the efforts of ISIS to take down Western allies. We know all this is true because it's a fact. It's been established, perception or not, the perception of the Saudis as supporters of terrorism has been established by not just the perception, not just the belief, but by the evidence, the billions of dollars that have flowed into the Taliban, the billions of dollars who have flowed, uh, that have flowed into groups like ISIS, the billions of dollars into the Wahhabist mosques built around the world in an effort to create the next generation of Islamic... Uh, activists of Islamic fighters who are committed uh, to bringing the jihad to the world in none of its glory. Um, all of that, all of that is what's interesting about this. So you, you look at the, uh, the scenario in, in front of us, and for the Saudis to point at that and to say, uh, couldn't prove anything, we beat the rap, we got it, we understand it, there's no doubt here. I mean, there's, there's absolutely uh, no, no doubt in terms of what you're looking at. And so uh, you could celebrate all you want. 
you, you can be happy. You can do a silly little dance and say you skated. But I have news for you. The House of Saud is still regarded as one of the principal supporters um, on the planet for killing innocent people. And what I found to be the most uh, disturbing uh, part of the 28 pages discussion that came out was watching Josh Ernest defend more eloquently the Saudis in their uh, not being connected to 9-11 than he ever would the police departments out there who have been uh, crushed by his boss uh, for for being uh, mean. The Associated Press with with an amazing piece about Hillary Clinton, the candidate we know so well and don't. When she was about 14, Hillary Clinton said she wrote to NASA volunteering for astronaut training. NASA's reply and uh, was, was simple and definitive. No girls. Oh, no. No, Brett. No, don't tell me. She, she started playing the woman card at 14. Yep, she did. She started playing the woman card at 14. And uh, coming up here in the next segment, I'll, uh, I'll share with you some of the uh, tidbits inside this piece on the Associated Press. The Hillary we think we know and don't. Oh, and we will talk about Pokemon Go. No, really, we will. It's been uh, all over the news. I'm going to share with you my thoughts on it, and uh, we'll take yours as well on Twitter at Witterable Show and by email, brett at brettwitterable.com. I am Brett Witterable. It is the Brett Witterable Show. Associated Press with their submission of the week for why we love Hillary. They would never write this about Trump. And I hate to be the guy that does that kind of uh, that does that kind of take. But man, this kind of stuff just it makes me crazy when they do this because it is so nakedly partisan. I'm sorry to use Hillary Clinton and naked in the same sentence. I apologize. When she was about 14, Hillary Clinton says she wrote to NASA volunteering for astronaut training. God, if only she had taken it, they could have put her on Mars. Uh, NASA's reply was simple and definitive, no girls. It was the first time I had hit an obstacle I couldn't overcome with hard work and determination, and I was outraged, she would write later in her book, Living History. More than a half century later, and after much hard work, much determination, and most of all, many, many obstacles, some undeniably of her own making, Clinton is no closer to actual space travel. She may have to settle for becoming the first female leader of the free world. I think Maggie Thatcher already did that. I'm just saying. Her journey more than three decades in the public eye and counting has been unlike any scene in American politics, a story of great promise, excruciating setbacks, bitter scandal, stunning comebacks, and especially reinvention of her own life, and as a result of the role of women in government. It's one that has fascinated not just her own country, but the world. Think about it. Is any woman more recognizable on a global scale than Hillary Clinton? If Barack Obama was the presidential candidate who seemed to come out of nowhere, Clinton is the candidate who seemed to come out of everywhere. I already have a headache. Americans first knew her as a governor's wife. Nobody knew her as a governor's wife. 
Nobody knew her as a governor's wife. Come on. I mean, then she got elected. She was the first lady. Okay. And then you knew about her as the first lady, and then you knew about her as part of Monica Lewinsky. Then she reinvented herself again, becoming Obama's secretary of state, traveling a million miles to 112 countries with nearly 30,000 pages of documents on a private server. Never mind. Who was Hillary Clinton, and why, if we'd been watching her for so long, did we feel like we didn't know her? That's the persistent narrative. It's a question of layers. For the past 14 years, and 20 overall, Americans polled by Gallup have named Clinton their most admired woman in the world. Americans have the most admired woman in the world. Okay. Um, But consider some of the titles attached to her over the years. Lady Macbeth, Washington Insider, Robotic, Wildly Ambitious, Congenital Liar, or Donald Trump's favorite, Crooked Hillary. But also, Feminist Heroine. Glass ceiling breaker, the most prepared in the room, the most prepared uh, qualified presidential candidate ever, loyal friend, witty companion, mom, grandma. This goes on. This goes on for a couple thousand words. Talking about how awesome she is. And then it becomes a problem with you people. (laughs) It's been a particular frustration to Clinton's campaign that young Democrats haven't responded more enthusiastically with many attracted to the populist message of Bernie Sanders, six years her senior. There's a sense that millennials are too young to remember her efforts on behalf of social justice, particularly for women and girls on the global scale. Young people today want to be a part of something bigger, but they don't understand how much she shares the aspirations of theirs. A key moment of Clinton's political journey and a defining personal moment came in 1995 when, as First Lady, she spoke at a UN Congress on women in Beijing declaring human rights aren't women's rights, oh, are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights. I, wow. Wow. Somebody, um, please, do me a favor. Scrub the images from our minds of the lone man in 1989 stopping the tanks in Tiananmen Square. Let's replace it with Hillary behind a podium. Um, Am I the only person who understands that what she said at the UN was what the UN basically had been saying since ever? The UN is not some tyrannical, misogynistic institution in 1995. It's a, it's a backwater of socialist, commie, Marxist, weird, statist ideology. And so she goes and gives a speech and says, women's rights are human rights, human rights are women's rights. Gave her an instant sense of the world looking at her differently. But she was also seeing the role she could play in ways perhaps she had never understood before. It remained with her ever since. She gave a speech. She gave a speech. And I'm not even talking, I have a dream. I'm not even talking, I may not make it to the mountaintop. Um, I may not get there with you. She gave a speech. That speech is not on par with Tear Down the Wall. That speech isn't even on par with, with some of the best stuff Obama shoveled back in, in, in 2008 about uh, we are the change we've been waiting for. I mean, if you're a leftist, man, that is manna from the heavens. 
So, so Hillary is a feminist. Robotic or human, part of the narrative on Clinton has been her trouble connecting with the public. I'm not a natural politician, in case you haven't noticed, she said recently, like my husband or President Obama. Those who watched her up close say she's both natural and an excellent communicator one-on-one. Friends always say she's relaxed, funny, witty, a great companion. And not just her friends. Her classmates from Wellesley as well. I... Okay, she's, she's terrific. But you know what? She's human. She's not robotic. She's historic. She's uh, not robotic. But do you know what the fundamental problem with Hillary Clinton is? She's a known, stale brand. People, what did I say in the last segment about perception? What did I say in the last segment about how people think the Saudis did 9-11? They're never going to shake that. People think uh, Hillary Clinton is a crook. People think Hillary Clinton is somebody. I mean, think about this. People think Hillary Clinton is somebody who takes advantage of the rules that you or I could never take advantage of. James Comey comes out and goes, here's all the 15 ways she broke the law, and we're not charging her because we don't know that she wanted to break the law. Mm, really? Fascinating. Here's 15 ways she violated federal law, but we don't know if there's intent. Um, okay. Can, can I get the same deal? Can you get the same deal? Could you imagine if the Department of Justice had come out and said, Bernie Madoff stole billions. We just don't know if there was any intent there. Uh, yeah. Um, mortgage meltdown. The mortgage companies ripped a lot of people off. I, I, did they intend to? Do we know the intent? What's the precedent on charging people involved in a mortgage meltdown? Can we look back at our predecessors? Hillary Clinton gets a pass because of her chromosomes. She gets a pass because of her celebrity. She gets a pass because of who she is. You can claim she's historic, but the fact is, she's still a crook. Trump's right about that. Coming up, niece, Brett Whittable, Brett Whittable Show.